0: morning. I want to thank the music team for leading us in worship. What songs we sing Peace be with you. And we we would respond by saying, and also with you. Then we would turn to the person next to us and offer them a gesture of peace. As a sign of the times, and to show how clever I thought I was, I would turn to the person next to me and just offer them the hippie sign of peace, you know. Wouldn't even say anything, wouldn't put up my hand. Because that was so popular at the time and I thought I was being smart. Now, some of you are probably thinking, why is he even telling us of this? And that's a good question. I'm saying it to show you how absolutely clueless I was about the peace we were supposed to be offering or wanting our fellow church members to have. You know, back then, well, first of all, what does it mean, you know, to wish peace upon another person or for another person? At that time, we were all wanting and wishing for an end to the Vietnam War that some of our older brothers were over there fighting in and being killed in. So we often thought of peace as enemy countries laying down their arms And people that we love returning home to their families. Especially since in that Vietnam war, tens of thousands of soldiers, American soldiers, were dying. But is that the type of peace that the Bible talks about? You know, we have just been looking into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And peace is going to be a significant part of what we will be talking about. In fact, an extremely important part. But what does the Bible mean when it says, or when it talks about peace? And what does Jesus mean when he offers peace to someone? And do we have that type of peace? Or do we know how to get that type of peace? On the first day of the week after Jesus had been crucified, the disciples found the tomb empty except for Jesus' grave clothes. You know, the wrappings that he would laid in the tomb with. We know also that Mary Magdalene had an encounter with Jesus on that day as the risen Lord. And Jesus tells Mary, among other things, he says, go tell my disciples that I will be ascending to the Father. My God and your God. My Father and your Father. And then the Bible says in the Gospel of John, On the very same day the disciples together met with the risen Lord. And I'd like to show you that in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, the disciples, we know, can imagine, were horrified from the brutal death that Jesus had just endured. And they were frightened because they probably thought, Maybe rightly that they'd be the next ones that the uh, the people, the Jewish leaders, would be coming after, just to wipe out that movement. And it's interesting that Jesus' first words to them were a greeting of peace: "Peace be with you." And then Jesus shows them his hands and his side, and that was to prove that it really was Jesus, the very one who was crucified. And so when they saw the wounds, this is indeed the risen Christ. But what about the peace Jesus mentions to them? You know, of course, it's fantastic that Jesus is alive. And when they saw the wounds, they were so excited. There's no doubt about that. But then what does he mean by peace be with you? Does he mean that since he is alive, all of their troubles are over? We don't think so, do we? Does he mean that the bad guys will now be rounded up and done away with? No more worries? Does he mean that within a day or two, the powerful kingdom of God will break forth and defeat all of God's enemies and set up this beautiful, everlasting kingdom? Well, we know he didn't mean that, did he? He didn't mean any of those things but if he didn't mean that the kingdom is on its way how can there be peace maybe Jesus didn't really mean what we think of as peace and maybe he'll modify it a little bit in his next in this next verse 21 again Jesus said peace be with you No modification there, is there? I mean, he said it again. And then look, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Not only did he not misspeak, he repeated it. Peace be with you. And not only does he repeat it, look what he adds to it. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He is going to send his followers on the same mission his Father sent him on. The mission he gave his whole life over to and ended up being arrested for and beaten and crucified. Peace be with you. Doesn't seem to fit the situation. So Jesus is placing his peace on them and telling them he is sending them on the same mission that caused him to be beaten and killed. So I guess what we really need to do is figure out this peace that Jesus is talking about. I think these next two verses will give us a clue how this can all fit together. Peace be with you. And here I am sending you out (coughs) to your mortal enemies. 22 and 23, and with that, <clears throat> excuse me, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. <clears throat> so he says, peace be with you as he sends them out as sheep among wolves. Then he breathes on them, which is actually symbolic of the coming Holy Spirit in a, f- a few weeks after. And, and you know, his his breath is symbolic for the Holy Spirit because breath and spirit can be the same word. Now, some weeks later, the Holy Spirit does come upon them powerfully. Right? It empowers the the apostles. But then he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus is giving them a lot of authority, isn't he? But what is he really saying to them? How How do all these things fit together? God's peace, I'm sending you out to do the same mission Whoever you forgive, their sins are forgiven. What does it all mean? Well, you know, the big picture is that Jesus is sending his disciples out to continue on with his work. The work he came down to do, now he's given to his disciples, his apostles to do, and the followers. Because the apostles and the prophets and these first Christians, they're going to be the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ that will come into existence on the day of Pentecost some weeks later when the Holy Spirit comes down and empowers the believers. And the church is the body of Christ on earth. The peace that Jesus is handing over to them is not an outward peace, a peace that is only experienced when things are going well. You know, when you're making enough money and you got food on the table and everything's going Right. right? That's not the peace he's talking about. The peace he is bestowing on them is an inward peace that can take them through turbulent times, that can carry them through rough times, that can take them through times that would just drown anybody else without the peace. And the Holy Spirit is going to be a major part of that peace peace that comes from knowing that we are loved and redeemed children of God. You know, a week or two ago, we read from Philippians chapter 4 about the peace of God. It was in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. I just want to look at that again this morning. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So that's that's when peace takes over, when when you can act in gentleness and you know because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's beyond our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes when we draw near to God. When we turn to him in prayer, in petition, with thanksgiving. It's a peace that goes beyond our understanding. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you really can't understand it. You can hear about it, but you can't really until you've experienced it. But we really have to believe that God is near, that he loves us. He is all-powerful, and he will do whatever is best for us. And we just have to be able to put that into his hands. He knows all things. He's experienced all things. And he knows how to give us peace even in the worst times. And for our sake, we just move on in obedience and let God make the hard choices. And he takes us here and takes us there and he builds us up and He strengthens our resilience. And when Jesus talks about forgiving sins and not forgiving sins or having them not being forgiven, He's talking about giving out that gospel message that saves souls. He has given us that message to give out to others. And anyone who receives our message, which comes from God, will have their sins forgiven. I mean, that is quite powerful, isn't it? I mean, we give out that message and people can be saved and they have eternal life. So, it's not like We save them, but we give them the message that saves them. And anyone who rejects our message will not have their sins forgiven. So it is a powerful thing for us to have. And in all of that, God has called us to do, we can have the peace of God that transcends understanding. Because we can just give it all over to him. We just do what he says, and and then we give it over to him. Because we are the messengers. We are not responsible for someone who refuses the kingdom and love of God. We are just told to give out the message. And of course, we are to live our lives according to the message too. We can't go around, you know, being people who don't uh, live right and then expecting others to go to the message of living right. And amazingly, our message can point people to eternal life itself. It's the peace of God that transcends all understanding, all human understanding. Now we're going to look at one of the greatest turnarounds or about faces we could probably imagine. And this encounter that we're going to look at next can give us great encouragement. So look at 24 and 25 with me back in John chapter 20 Now Thomas also known as Didymus which means twin one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came So the other disciples told him We have seen the Lord but he said to them Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were where the nails were and put my hands into his side I will not believe. You know, we've talked about Thomas before. We all know that uh, he was called Doubting Thomas. He's made his mark in biblical history. But I believe that this passage is extremely important. Thomas is standing against the unanimous report unanimous witness of all the other disciples that were there. And you know there were ten other apostles, and probably some others that you know were always with the group. And with all those people, with whom he spent three years going through all kinds of circumstances, forming close bonds, you'd think he'd listen to them. And against every single disciple saying the same exact thing, That they saw Jesus, he absolutely refuses to believe their testimony unless he sees it himself. And he gives the most demanding, most extreme demand of proof that he says he must see and experience before he will even consider their report. So that's a tough cookie to crack, isn't it? Or is it egg to crack or cookie to whatever crumble? (laughs) And he doesn't just say, unless I see him walk up to me and prove he is alive. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas is not about to take their word for it. Nothing can convince him except seeing with his own eyes, feeling with his own fingers in hand, the wounds he knew for a fact that Jesus had experienced. So Thomas's extreme demands for proof and his, his rock-hard unbelief really squashes the theory, you know, there's a theory that was used from long ago and still exists today, that the disciples wanted so badly to see Jesus alive that this they thought they did. <clears throat> well, this squashes that whole theory because Thomas wasn't going to believe unless he touched and felt and saw it, you know, first firsthand. But now let's move to one week later, <clears throat> twenty six through twenty nine. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. There he goes again. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. To me, this incident shows the brilliance of God, shows the providence of God. To think that on Jesus' first visit to his disciples, only one person is missing, doubting Thomas the one who would hold out against all odds. It could have been anyone missing, right? Could have been two or three missing. It was just Thomas, the one who would demand the most undeniable proof, Thomas. If Thomas could be convinced, most anybody can be convinced. And then because of all that, the one who would end up making the most extreme declaration of belief is Thomas, my Lord and my God. He didn't just say, okay, I believe you rose. He took it all the way, my Lord and my God. So just think of the degree of transformation there. From, I will not believe it until you absolutely prove it, to, everything Jesus said he believed. <clears throat> now I'm guessing that most in here <clears throat> would agree that this short portion of the Gospel of John <clears throat> this this part about Thomas could probably, you'd think it would probably be uh, being able to use as convincing proof of the resurrection of Christ to certain people. And what I'm thinking of is You may be talking to someone who says they just can't believe that a person rose from the dead. Just can't believe Jesus rose from the dead. And you know what you can do? It doesn't happen very often. We used to carry Bibles around. Maybe you can do it on your phone. Maybe you have a Bible near. You can show them this passage, and it just may get them thinking, in my experience years ago, when you showed people a passage and, and you had them read it themselves, it went a lot deeper than when you just uh, said a passage or, or memorized a verse, with, with, that's great. But if you have the, the chance and you can show them and have them read it themselves, and I'm thinking of someone who just can't believe in the resurrection and you show them Thomas's story And Thomas didn't just say, wow, that's interesting. He he said, my Lord and my God. And then when they read it themselves, it has a way of coming back into their minds. Now John ends this part of his gospel by saying why he chose to write about certain miracles of Jesus. In these last two verses, He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed one of God, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel so that people have eternal life and then by believing they could have life in his name. The only name that guarantees eternal life, the name of Jesus Christ. Only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. Only one person that we can turn to, Jesus Christ. So our question this morning is, are we living according to the peace Christ offers us? You know, Jesus says to us, peace be with you. It's a peace that does not come from outward circumstances. <clears throat> you know, we may get upset at outward circumstances, but we we need to remember that our peace doesn't come from them really comes from a strong dependence upon Jesus Christ for our eternal life. And we know that he is absolutely trustworthy. He paid the redemption price and we are the beneficiaries. Christ did the work and we received the benefits. His peace transcends all understanding. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. People follow all kinds of people. But only one person rose from the grave. Only one person conquered death. And he can guard our hi- our hearts and minds in him. Now, <clears throat> it was suggested that when we're talking about the peace that Christ offers, it was suggested that I kind of share a little bit about my health diagnosis, my health situation, and... Almost everybody here knows that I have a I have prostate cancer and just recently Laura and I saw the the tumor on the computer screen. It's a bad, big bad boy in there. It's, it's at the edge of the prostate. <clears throat> and for two in two weeks I'll be going in for surgery. <clears throat> Excuse me. But And I'm thinking, how could I not? You know, I'm into the Bible every single day. I get the truth just poured into my head every day. My wife is amazing, helping me. Carmen is encouraging to me every day. This church faithfully prays for me. The doctors are top notch. They explain everything thoroughly. The scriptures are so encouraging you know God has given the Holy Spirit and I just think you know not being a Christian until age 22 what difference the, the body of Christ makes I mean when, when so many people know the truth what is eternal life and what is important in life and, what, and how you know, remarkable Christ is and what he did to give us salvation what we have waiting for us in the kingdom, the, the coming kingdom. So, you know, it's it's no credit to me for having the peace of Christ. He did all the work and we can have it. So as I continue on, I'll, we'll be having I'll be having the surgery in two weeks. But, you know, God just does whatever he does. And we can rest in that. And that's how I feel. But I thank you for being my church family and for praying for me. And that's a big part of the peace that I have. So <clears throat> the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, that transcends all understanding, and you can't get it anywhere else, and you know it's there because of what Christ has done, how he has conquered death and he's <laughs> risen from the grave and he's building, building homes for us and we have a whole